Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast after game two of this first-round series between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. Cavaliers win game two in big fashion, 107-90. to And Chris, let's just get into it right away. Darius Garland kind of ignited the entire night for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He said after the game that the entire team told him he had to be more aggressive going into game two to just shoot the ball. And that's exactly what he did. 32 points for him, seven assists. Uh, it just, it, I think something, we watched something grow in front of our eyes, or in front of our eyes today as we watched Darius Garland on, on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it was the kind of performance that I think Darius needed in the postseason. Um, it's the kind of performance, as Donovan Mitchell said, that people thought he was going to have the other night against New York um, with Donovan commanding a lot of attention from the Knicks and Darius potentially benefiting from that. But the Knicks kind of flipped the script a little bit in game one and gave more attention to Darius and tried to rattle him and, and tested his poise and his maturity and all of that kind of stuff. And he was able to see those things from game one and he was able to make the necessary playoff adjustments. And that's what you want from a young player. You want um, a guy who's going to take the information um, from one game and apply it to the next. And I give Darius a lot of credit um, because there were times in game one where it looked like he was a little bit tentative, where it looked like he was a little bit unsure of himself, where he didn't handle the kind of pressure that um, the Knicks were throwing at him the way that you would expect from an all-star caliber point guard. Um, But he bounced back in a big, big way tonight. And I had been talking to a lot of people close to Darius over the last couple of days. And they said that they were seeing a different look from him um, in practice leading into game two. And then Donovan mentioned that in the post game. Yes, he did. Uh, said that that Darius had a different look in his eye. Uh, Darius finishes the night eight of 17, six of 10 from downtown, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, seven assists, uh, did have four turnovers, you know, still kind of a little sloppy with the ball. But when he's doing what he did, you know, tonight, it really didn't matter. I was also impressed, Chris. And, and you know, I know we mentioned this on the other podcast, uh, on some of our other podcasts about Darius Garland. You yep. know, we wanted to see what he's made of because he's never really been in this position and never really right. been, you know, in the postseason. Sure. We saw it offensively for sure. But we've seen that Darius before. We know Darius can right, perform right, offensively. Right. I've never seen Darius play defense the way that he did tonight. Awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. For yeah. him to 
carry the load that he had to carry offensively. And he did carry a big load offensively. And for him to lead the team in scoring and then guard the way that he did. I mean, there are multiple times where he just swarmed whoever it was that he was guarding, stayed in front, um, forced turnovers. The, the, the thing with Darius is that he's always been a willing defender. And I think he's always been, in some aspects, a capable defender. But he has physical limitations because of his size, right? And there were times in game one where Jalen Brunson took Darius into the post, kind of bodied him a little bit, created some space, knocked down those shots. Uh, tonight, Darius was awesome on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, sometimes, Hayden, when you look at plus minus, it doesn't always tell the full story. And numbers can be noisy, especially in a one-game sample. But the Cavs outscored the Knicks by 29 points with Darius on the court. That was the best for any player on the team. And that's a number that I think points to a real impact that he had. It's not one that is a mirage. It's not one that's determined by who was he playing on the court at the time that, you know, the Cavs were playing well. This game... Um, had his fingerprints all over the outcome, both ends of the floor. It was just a special, special performance. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to mention it first, because Darius, you know, was the story of this game, played incredibly well on both ends. Yeah. But I, I want to go back to the beginning of the game, and it seemed early on that things were going exactly kind of as, as they did in game one, right? It just very early on, just things did not seem to be as physical as the Cavaliers would have liked. And maybe things weren't, you know, it was very early in the game. Yeah. But I think with, when the switch flipped was when Isaac Okoro went out of the game. It was, you know, he only had three minutes tonight. He was over one from the floor. And he never came back in. Mm -hmm. And I know that J.B. Bickerstaff said, you know, this isn't an indictment on, on Isaac. It was just the flow of the game, whatever. But it does make you have to think. Because Isaac Okoro played three minutes. Karis LeVert played 40 minutes. Was nine of sixteen, had twenty four mm. points of his own. Uh, was twenty three uh, plus twenty three in the plus minus. Uh, was four of nine from three. I mean, that's the Karis Levert you want to see. And not right. only that, he also did a good job defensively on Jalen Brunson. So, yeah. What? Where do we stand with Isaac Okoro? Where do we stand with Karis Levert at this point in the series? At being one one in the way that things transpired this uh, this evening. I think it's simple, Hayden. I do. So many people want to make it complex. Who's playing better? Yeah, That's what it comes down to. Who's yeah. giving the Cavs what they need on a given night? Who's the guy who's being more productive? Who's the guy that's being more impactful? I thought in game one, Isaac was impactful. I yeah. thought he played good defense against Jalen Brunson. He kept Brunson from getting the switches that he wanted to. Um, even though Isaac was missing those three-pointers, the open three-pointers that the Knicks were very much willing to live with, he was still impacting the game in a positive way. And the other guy, Karis LeVert, was awful. He played 18 minutes, missed six of his seven shots, was hijacking possessions, didn't look very comfortable in the role that he was being used in offensively, and he just didn't have a good night in game one. But he bounced back in game two, and he showed the kind of Karis that the Cavs have seen since basically March, where he's impactful at both ends of the floor. And if Karis is going to play like he did tonight, where he's in control offensively, he's in a rhythm offensively, he's knocking down outside shots, he's being a willing outside shot taker, 
and he's defending at such a high level that is taking Jalen Brunson out of his rhythm and out of his game that it's a lot easier for J.B. Bickerstaff to go away from somebody like Isaac Okoro and say, hey, look, if Karras is going to be something close to what you are defensively or close enough to what you are defensively, then we're going to go with him because he's going to give us way more than you are on the offensive end. So I think a lot of it is tied to how does the other guy behind Isaac Okoro play? And if Karis Levert is going to play like he did tonight, then it's a lot easier for J.B. Bickerstaff to stay away from Isaac, and it makes it more difficult on the New York Knicks to guard the Cavs because Karras is more of an offensive threat. That being said, do you, I mean, do you start going into game three? Do you start Isaac Coro? Do you start Karras Levert? Or does it matter? I don't know that it matters, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. I mean, like, on one hand, yeah, it matters because you want to get off to a good start on the road in a hostile environment against the Knicks. Game three is going to be bananas. It's an 8.30 start on a Friday. Like, there's hockey playoffs going on in New York, right? Um, there's more time for people to get to Madison Square Garden. So that that environment, and, and they haven't had playoff basketball with fans for like a decade in New York. So it is going to be rowdy. So on one hand, you say, well, the Cavs want to get off to a good start, and maybe their best option is to go with Karis LeVert in that starting lineup because that allows um, the Cavs to function in a different kind of way offensively, and it forces the Knicks to guard in a different kind of way defensively. Um, so maybe you do go with Karis, and I wouldn't be surprised if JB went that direction. If you remember, Hayden, last year in the play-in tournament against Brooklyn, um, Isaac Okoro had three wide open threes from the corner because Brooklyn was not guarding him. He missed all of them. JB pulled him after 13 minutes. And um, in the following playing game against Atlanta, he started Karis Levert because he did not want to give Trey Young anywhere to quote unquote hide on the defensive end. He wanted to play an offensive minded lineup with five threats. So if that's what he feels like is best going into New York for game three, then I don't think JB would hesitate to do that. And that just means that Isaac would have to be on call. And if Karras is struggling or if the Cavs aren't bringing it on the defensive end and they need somebody who can match up better with Jalen Brunson because Brunson gets it cooking early in game three, then Isaac probably gets a shot. And I think that's probably the way that you have to handle it with somebody whose production is going to continue to fluctuate like that. Yeah, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense, um, you know, given that, you know, both guys, like we said, um, can bring different things, but you kind of just have yep. to pick and choose depending upon what you need. Can um, we say this yeah, too? Yeah. Like, kudos to J.B. Bickerstaff, who took a lot of heat from a lot of people yeah. following game one. Um, he understood, and I asked him about this earlier tonight, and I asked Donovan Mitchell about this, and I asked Karis LeVert about this. It was clear, Hayden, in re-watching game one, which is what I did last night because I'm a big nerd like that, um, it was clear that the Knicks weren't willing to trap Donovan or Darius as much, if at all, when Karis was the, 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 the wing instead of Isaac Okoro. Because the Knicks were like, he's more potent on the offensive end. Like we can't use that extra defender to completely ignore whoever that is at small forward, because that guy has to occupy Karras because he can knock down shots from the outside because he can attack better off the dribble because he can score at all three levels. 
So when Karras was out there, even in game one, the Knicks had to change their plan defensively against Darius, against Donovan. The Cavs saw that. J.B. Bickerstaff saw that and said, hey, look, if we go to Karras more frequently and he delivers, this was all predicated on Karras playing well. If we go to Karras and he delivers, then all of a sudden that's going to open things up for Darius. That's going to open things up for Donovan. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Darius was able to have this kind of game um, and Donovan was able to have this kind of game when Karras played close to 40 minutes. Yeah, we haven't even touched on Donovan yet. Um, uh, just uh, the the ultimate winner. I, I said it earlier. He's the ultimate winning player. I mean, you know, in a night where he's not the leading scorer and he's not yeah. the main focus, he ends up with this uh, a career high in assists, 13 assists. <laughs> just, you know, it just it, the guy just plays winning basketball every night. You know, he yes, he makes mistakes. He's human. But, you know, it, it, he just goes with the flow of the game. He understands. And he's such a valuable tool for a guy like Darius Garland, who's never been here before. Darius said, you know, they had they talked and Donovan said after the game, you know, he knows how to the flow of the game goes. He knows where Darius is going to be most effective. He knows right. where he's going to be most effective. And it showed tonight. I mean, not only was, you know, not only did he have 13 assists, but he was very efficient uh, in his scoring. 17 points, 6 of 11 from the field, uh, 2 of 5 from 3 point. I mean, it, just winning basketball is how I would describe it. Yeah, and that's the thing about Donovan and Darius together, right? Since they came together, it's always been about the team. It's always been about what's best. It's not my turn, your turn. It's not I'm the alpha, you're the beta. It's not I'm the all-star and you were the all-star, but you're not anymore. It's my voice, your voice. You know what I mean? Like, it hasn't always been perfect between the two of them in terms of productivity on the court. But they've always had the right intentions with this yeah. particular relationship. Yeah. It's a brotherly bond between them. Um, they don't take anything personally. Darius doesn't care about the spotlight. Donovan doesn't care about the spotlight. Darius doesn't care about the individual accolades. Neither does Donovan. It's always what's best for this team, what's going to allow us to win at the highest level. And look, like Darius is somebody who... He could go a lot of different places, Hayden, a lot of different teams in the NBA, and it could be his team. This was yep. his team, right? Yep. This was his spotlight. Yep. He was the max player. It was his offense. And he looked at the situation and said, Donovan's going to help me, and I'm going to help Donovan. So I'm not going to worry about any of that other stuff. I'm not going to worry about the fact that I can't make as many all-star games because Donovan's here. I'm not going to worry about the fact that my chances of being all NBA in the Eastern Conference are basically out the window because Donovan's here. I'm not going to worry about the fact that my usage rate is going to be a little bit lower because Donovan's here. And these two guys, for the most part, on the court, have worked really, really well together. And I think you saw a vision of it tonight. And Donovan being able to play on the ball or off the ball, and Darius being able to play on the ball or off the ball, really, really helps the partnership. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, they both really are fantastic, uh, you know, on the floor, off the floor. I think they're a match made in heaven. Um, I mean, think about, like, yesterday, um, Donovan and Darius, and Donovan told me that, you know, the conversations that they have in the film breakdowns that they have 
um, are about once a month. Um, and they just look at different things and they say, okay, where can we be most effective? What do you see? Here's what I see. And they just talk ball back and forth. And we were at practice yesterday and um, somebody was talking at the wall and neither Donovan or Darius spoke yesterday at practice. Um, and then we were just like observing what else was going on around us. And one of the things that was happening right in front of everybody was Donovan and Darius sitting on a bench with a laptop talking. And it was like 25 to 30 minutes or something like that, Hayden. And I was like, oh, that's really, really interesting. Let's make a mental note of that. Let's talk to Donovan about it. Da, 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 da. And just like having those kinds of conversations. And Donovan said it was very similar to what happened with him and Ricky Rubio early in his time with Utah and him and Mike Conley and him and Joe Ingles. For Darius to have somebody like that, like Donovan, who has the right intentions, who has accomplished as much as he has in his career and who understands what playoff basketball is all about. It's one thing for Darius to hear it from coaches and he's going to, but to hear it from somebody like that, who he has that brotherly bond with, like that goes a long way. And you could see like some of the things that they saw together on film and how to attack the Knicks you saw differences in the way that Darius approached his matchup against the Knicks tonight. He was much more aggressive. Um, he wasn't calling for screens as much. He was more willing to go on the ball and attack off the dribble and just like be himself and have that level of freedom. And I think part of it is because Donovan empowered him to do that. Right. I completely agree. That's yeah, that's exactly, you know, what he said after the game to have somebody, you know, like Donovan, there to help him is a huge, huge tool. Um, I don't want to go without through this podcast without mentioning uh, the the two big guys, uh, Jared yeah. Allen and Evan Mobley. I mean, yeah. we talked we talked about them a ton. That they needed to step up. That they needed to be needed to be more aggressive. That they needed to be more physical. That's exactly what they did. They ended up with twenty three rebounds combined. Um, Evan Mobley was six of eleven from the floor at thirteen points. Jared Allen had ten rebounds and uh, and nine points in this one. And it I, it I think it goes to show three assists too. Yeah, yep, three assists for Jared Allen. Twenty three rebounds for those two. Not one player on the Knicks had double digit rebounds tonight. Right. Not one. Right. Not one. And I think that points to those two stepping up. And and yes, the Cavaliers defended extremely extremely well tonight. Yeah, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they did their job. They got more physical. Evan especially got more physical as the game went on. And yep. they need to continue to have that physicality. You know, the Knicks might have actually done themselves a, a disservice by kind of punching Cleveland in the mouth so hard because now Cleveland knows, okay, you know, if we play our best game and, and we defend the way that we can defend and we bring the physicality, you know, this series could be over quicker than we thought. Well, you know what, Hayden, that's something that we talked about following game one, and it's something that um, we've touched on with Cleveland.com, and it kind of got lost in between uh, game one and game two. The Cavs defended well the other night in game one. They, did. Yep, they, they only did. gave up 101 points. Like, yep. their first um, shot defense was awesome. Yep. It's just they weren't finishing those possessions with the rebound. 
They gave up 17 offensive rebounds and they gave up 23 second chance points. But yep. their first shot defense was really good. Um, and and all the Cavs felt after that game one was like, hey, if we do a few things different here or there and we continue to defend at the level that we showed in game one and we think we can based on what the Knicks have offensively. We're going to win game two. We're going to have a shot to win game two. And if the Cavs continue to defend the way that we have seen in the first two games, it's going to be really, really difficult for the Knicks to find enough offense to keep up with Donovan and Darius if they continue to play at this level. And if Karis LeVert continues to provide a spark off the bench, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the the Cavs, the Cavs believe based on what they've shown in the first two games that they are the better team and they have shown why they're the number one defense in the NBA. And that's something that they always have in their back pocket. So tonight was a little bit different because they finished those possessions with the rebound and you saw the Knicks, like they just continued all night long to work extremely hard for consistent quality looks against this Cavs defense. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the Cavaliers have proven two games in that they are the better team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think it goes beyond, you know, just the way they played tonight. I think, you know, it proved uh, the other night. I thought they played one of their worst games that I've seen maybe all year. And they were thinking, yeah, yeah, that's what they were thinking. Yeah. And still only lost by four points. So that leads me to believe that, okay, this team is better than the Knicks. But the problem is, is that, you know, they didn't win game one. Right. Game three is going to be a – I'm not saying the Cavs can't win it, but that's going to be a tough game regardless. I mean, regardless yeah. if they were up 2-0 or what. I mean, going into that environment in New York, like you said, they haven't had the postseason there with fans in such a long time. So, you know, they 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 put themselves kind of behind the eight ball, but also, you know, they are the better team. They're, they have the ability to be the much better team throughout the series – so that's a place that they, they should be confident. And then when you're confident, you should have that aggressive mindset. When you have that aggressive mindset, you should be more physical and you should yep. be the better team. So they're kind of in a really good spot right now, I think, moving forward. If they could just maintain that physicality, maintain that mindset, and if they can withstand yet another punch that's going to come in the form of game three. Yeah, you know what? It's um, if if we go back to the some of the storylines from um the 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 first the first game of this series and like yeah. what things didn't go well for the Cavs and like what things they felt like were controllable you know what i mean like because sometimes in a series right like there are certain things where a team's just going to outplay you in those areas yeah. and it's more about how they do and what they do as opposed to what you don't do you know, I got the sense that following game one, there was just like this this underlying feeling from the Cavs that it was more about what they didn't do. And that mm-hmm. was no disrespect to the Knicks. And, and Jalen Brunson hit some key shots and things like that. But they felt like a lot of the flaws that they showed, not all of them, but a lot of the flaws that they showed were correctable and fixable. And they weren't that big of a deal. Like, they turned out to be a huge deal in game one. But, like, for the entire series, there wasn't a sense of, 
these things can't be fixed with this, 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 and this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just look at tonight. Uh, second chance points. Cavs won that category. Bench points. Remember, that was a huge deal. Josh Hart outscored the entire Cavs bench by himself in game one. The Cavs were plus eight there. Points off turnovers. The Cavs won that battle as well. Um, assists. They won that battle. Offensive rebounds, they lost, but it was only by two. And it, it it wasn't the same kind of dominant offensive rebounding performance from the Knicks. So I just think, you know, many of the flaws that the Cavs showed in game one, um, they were able to correct well enough um, here in game two. And they basically flipped the script. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, crazy stat, by the way, in looking at the, the box scores. Um, Josh Hart, who was doubtful yesterday, uh, turned into questionable and then ended up playing <laughs> 27 minutes in this game. Yeah. Um, this goes to show you that you probably can't trust any of the Knicks uh, injury reports. Um, or the NBA was, injury reports or the in NBA, general. Right, general. Right. He was a minus 29 tonight. Awful. He was he was invisible. Completely invisible. That That is insane. Like, nobody else in the Knicks was, like, everybody else, like, minus yeah. 7, minus 10. He was minus 29. Yeah. How does that and, happen? <laughs> and it makes you wonder, are the Knicks regretting that decision a little bit, right? Like, if if they would have just said, and, and it's hard to say this, right? But yeah. if they would have just said, hey, we're playing with house money here. We already got one in Cleveland. We understand that ankle injuries can be tricky. Let's sit them. And that's going to give them four days, three days, basically, maybe close to four days of rest and recovery for that ankle. Tonight, he played 27 minutes on that bum ankle. He was completely invisible. He was ineffective. Um, he had no impact on the outcome whatsoever. He didn't defend at the level that that we saw in game one because he just didn't have the same mobility. Um, he didn't offensive rebound the same kind of way because the Cavs did a better job um, when it came to that particular category. So now I just wonder if like playing on that ankle tonight is something that is also going to be a problem for him going into game three, game four, and maybe for however long this series goes. Maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, and, you know, We'll do more. Po you know, I think we we will. I think you're doing another podcast tomorrow, right? With Ashley, is that what right? is tomorrow? Day of the week wise. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, that's happening. Yeah. Okay. So th there's more to get into, and there's you know we we want them to hold some stuff for tomorrow. Right. Um But the question also becomes like, okay, why did he play? Also, why was why was Julius Randle playing late? Why yeah. was Jalen Brunson playing late? Right. I mean, they were playing late into that game. It's like, yeah. for what purpose? I mean, Jalen Brunson had 36 minutes. You probably could have taken six minutes away from that. <laughs> I mean, yep. it just it made no sense to me. And then Julius Randle almost gets hurt because, you know, Jared Allen's still playing hard because he's still playing hard. It's like, yeah, I, that's a question maybe you guys can answer tomorrow. I don't know. I don't yep. understand that one. But what I do want to say is uh, one more thing. Um, the bench. I want to get into a, just a just a tad into the sure. bench. Danny Danny Green played 20 minutes tonight, and I know yep. that some of that was garbage time, but 20 minutes for Danny Green. Um, also, kind of like Josh Hart, not really effective. You know, was minus two. He was um, fine. Yeah, he made he made a three. Um, 
that was kind of it. I mean, had four yeah. rebounds, but uh, you know, I think he, I think he kind of did bring his spark from the crowd, which is, you know, not nothing. Um, right. But it was just interesting that he got 20 minutes and Dean Wade got zero. Um, and Ricky Rubio got zero. Well, well, that's the thing about JB, right? I mean, for, for some of the things that people have a problem um, with JB, it's he has shown an ability to trying to figure out how I want to say this. He has shown an ability to have the pulse of his team and make difficult decisions, yeah. whether it's the regular season or the postseason. You know, taking guys out of a rotation that have been in there consistently or relatively consistently is not easy. You have to have these conversations with these guys. You have to try and keep them engaged and focused. And um, JB has shown a willingness when the time calls for it to make some difficult decisions. He did it with Kevin Love. He did it last year in the po- in the play-in tournament um, with Isaac Okoro taking him out of the starting lineup and going to Karis LeVert. He did it earlier this year, going to Karis LeVert as the starting small forward and then pulling him out of that position and then going to Lamar Stevens and then eventually ending up to Isaac Okoro. You know what I mean? So, like, he doesn't get everything right. He's not going to get everything right. But I think he understands some of his own issues. Um, and he makes those corrections. And I think everybody saw it in game one, Hayden. Ricky Rubio just, he looked out of place in this series. He wasn't yeah. quick enough. He wasn't athletic enough. He was a step or two slow. Um, the game seemed like it was still moving too fast for him. And then Dean Wade looked completely out of place on the court in a playoff series. You know, so... When you had that evidence behind you and you said, okay, my plan coming into the series didn't really work with player number seven and eight. Are there other players that we can go to seven and eight and nine that can be a little bit more effective? And I think because of the way Ricky played and the way that Dean Wade played, it was easier for JB to say, hey, guys, like we're going a different direction here. We're going Danny Green. Um and I give him a lot of credit for that um, because he recognizes a mistake or an error and he tries to find a way to correct it while also um, communicating specifically to these guys what his thinking is behind every decision that he makes. Yeah, then that's that's important. Communication is a big deal. You know, it's his job to make really tough decisions, but you got to be able to communicate correctly. Yeah. I think that's the ultimate sign of respect. And um, like if Dean Wade is going to continue to look out of place, then Danny Green's going to get an opportunity or Lamar Stevens is going to get an opportunity or X player, depending on the matchup, depending on the situation, depending on circumstances of the game, X player is going to get an opportunity. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that's just like, the reality of this roster construction. I don't know how many times we've talked about this on the podcast, but if you are player now it's seven and eight because Ricky Rubio, who knows um, if you're player seven and eight and you're not in the top six baked into what your role is in this team is a level of fluctuation. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that because Danny green played 20 minutes tonight, 
and looked okay enough in those 20 minutes and, you know, provided floor spacing, provided playoff competency, um, provided like veteran know-how and leadership and handled his own actually in, in some of these matchups that he was dealing with on the defensive end. Um, even though that happened tonight, there's just no guarantee that he's going to have the same effectiveness or impact. Um, and he's going to continue to have his number called in game three and game four, game five, like all of these guys have to be on high alert and it's going to be about what each individual game calls for. Yeah. But tonight made sense to go to Danny green. It did. Yep. And Jetty based on the way that the game was going too. that played part of it. Yeah. Jetty Osmo was not good tonight uh, at all. Um, had open looks, didn't make him. Uh, yeah. But they still stuck with him for 23 minutes. I think he was like weirdly somewhat effective, even though he wasn't good. Um, because at least, you know, with him, like they're not as willing to just leave him open. Or right. maybe they he's are, a threat. You know? yeah, yeah, he's more of a threat than like an Isaac Okoro. So, you know, while he wasn't good, um, I don't know if he's going to be chopped like the other guys were chopped right away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, because I still think, like, even when it comes to Isaac, like, I still think the Cavs need what Isaac can theoretically bring, especially yeah. on the defensive end of the floor. And I think the Cavs in this series um, need what Jetty Osman can theoretically bring. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And And here's the thing. Like, if Jared Allen... And Evan Mobley and some of these guards are going to rebound and negate New York's size advantage the same kind of way. Then there's going to be no reason for JB to go to Dean Wade for size purposes. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Just like if if Darius and Donovan and Karras can be as effective as they were tonight running the offense, getting the team in sets, um, handling the Knicks pressure and their defensive schemes then there's no reason for JB to go to Ricky Rubio because right. like those guys are bringing the things that Ricky would theoretically bring to the table. Right. It makes sense. It does. All right. Well, we will be back with the one gold talk podcast tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, sign up for Chris's subtext three ninety nine a month, 14 day free trial. Um, it's all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page and you'll be inundated. With yes. analysis, news, insight, all kinds of good stuff sent straight to your phone before Twitter or anywhere else from Chris. So, again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Uh, so, tomorrow, it's you and Ashley, and then yep. we will talk to you Friday. Hey, after... Hayden, I got to say, though, yeah. my Cavs insiders, they knew about Danny Green 60 minutes before tip-off. They were there the first people to know about that when I got that word that the Cavs had a plan to play Danny Green tonight. There you go. So that's why oh. you've got to sign up to be a Cavs insider. Because exactly. you would have known that information before anybody else. Yep, that's exactly right. It's perfect. <laughs> that's 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 the perfect plug. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, that makes it uh, worthwhile. So definitely check that out. Again, I say it all the time, but it's the truth. This really is the best time. <laughs> to, to sign up for the $3.99 month 14-day free trial because this is the time you want to know information like that. So sign up today, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. We'll be back with the Wanda Gold Talk podcast tomorrow. Ashley will be doing it with Chris. And then 
uh, Friday after the game, we will get another podcast in. So a ramp up of the podcast with the Cavaliers, you know, being in the postseason. And we'll see what happens Friday. I think it'll be an amazing atmosphere. So exciting, you know, to for, for a lot of these guys to probably experience something like that. And uh, it's going to show a lot. It's going to show a lot about the nature of this team, the metal of this team, if you will. Mm. So it'll be I like a very, that word, very, metal. Yeah, it's 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 true. It's Can we also them. say, just as we said after game one, just because the Knicks won game one, it didn't mean the series was over. And just because the Cavs won and even the series tonight and looked as good as they did tonight, it also doesn't mean that the series is over. This Heck is no. a, this this is a game of chess, baby. We've got ourselves a series, and now I can't wait to see what adjustments the Knicks are going to try and make to counter the ones that J.B. Bickerstaff and the Cavs made going into Game 2. That's the fun part about yeah, this exactly. series. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and this series is not over by any... I Like I said, the, the Cavs are going to get punched in the mouth again on on um, Friday. And maybe, maybe, not on the, maybe it's not even like a basketball thing. Maybe it's just the environment. I mean, th- that's going to be, you know... That that in itself is a punch in the mouth. Just to be in that environment, like you said, it's going to be raucous. It's going to be crazy. An away an away playoff game, their first away playoff game for a lot of these guys. So it's going to be exciting. It's certainly going to be exciting. Safe travels to you, Chris. I don't know when you're leaving, but um, we will talk soon. Sounds good, buddy. Leaving tomorrow night should be a lot right. of fun in New York. All right, looking forward to it. All right, thank you everybody for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Talk to you tomorrow, Ashley and Chris will, and then after the game on Friday as well. So stay tuned. Cavs, Knicks, tied at one apiece. We'll talk to you on Friday and tomorrow. Take care.